0: Welcome back to the G3 Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Beiss, and today we're going to be talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, specifically the SBC conservative movement and fundamentalism. Is there a new fundamentalist movement that's sweeping through the SBC, or would you, as you look at the SBC, see a more liberal drift that's impacting the Southern Baptist Convention? But before we talk about that, we want to talk a little bit about G3 Ministries, We are 90 days out from the 2021 G3 National Conference. We are projected to break another record this year in attendance, breaking the 6,000 mark in attendees. And we're going to have all sorts of things happening around the G3 conference. In fact, we're going to have all sorts of uh, special events and gatherings that are happening, one of which is the pre-conference that's going to be devoted to In many ways, a healthy view of the pulpit and a healthy trajectory of pastoral ministry. And that, of course, will be in both English and Spanish. You can find those pre conference options on our website at g3men.org. And there's going to be a, a wonderful opportunity to reconnect with old friends and to make new friends, as is typically the case at a G3 national conference. And of course, this Christian fellowship follows you beyond the conference and enables you to stay connected throughout the year. And so we want to, of course, make as as much of this opportunity as we're able to as we roll into a national conference like this. Now, we we also want to remind you of the fact that we are now a biennial conference rotation as far as the national conference is concerned. So that means every two years we will have this national conference in Atlanta, And so that means the fall of 2021 and then in the fall of 2023. But in the off year, we're going to have some smaller gatherings, what what, what we typically refer to as those regional conferences. And we're going to be rolling out some opportunities for you to connect with us in those various regions coming up very soon. But back to this national conference, I've done about three or four entire walkthroughs of the convention center. And uh, again, it's at a new venue, so we're right next to Mercedes Stadium, downtown Atlanta, adjacent to Centennial Olympic Park, which is there right next to the College Football Hall of Fame. It's connected to uh, the Atlanta Aquarium. There's all sorts of amenities and restaurants and family fun atmosphere for just a wonderful time. And so as as many families as continue to come to the G3 National Conference, we want to remind you of the great fall weather and all of the the new opportunities surrounding the G3 National Conference. So make your plans to join us. We would love to have you and your entire family with us this fall. So we're just uh, 90 days away, three months, and we're going to be gathered together in the heart of Atlanta for a wonderful time of Christian koinonia, And the worship of Christ under the theme of Christ. And so, uh, again, we're going to be unpacking and releasing the full schedule with all of the speakers and their topics coming very soon. So, stay tuned for that. Also, we want to remind you about something new that will be launching August the 2nd. So, be looking for the announcements as we prepare to launch our application, official application for the G3 Church Network. Again, suffice it to say, many churches are excited about what we're going to be able to accomplish together in a way that's perhaps not possible through other networks or even those who are and have been a part of the Southern Baptist Convention for a very long time. And so we're going to be talking more about that as we get a little bit closer to August, but now you can just uh, be prepared for those announcements and the application that will be live as soon as August the 2nd. Now, just just as a reminder, the G3 church network is not a a new denomination, and it's not mutually exclusive in the sense that if you're still going to be a part of the SBC, that you can't be a part of the G3 church network. So it's going to allow you to be a part of multiple church networks. We think that being a part of multiple church networks can be a very healthy thing. But it will provide you opportunities to engage in partnerships with other churches and, of course, friendships with other pastors, Uh, and then, of course, to provide you with church resources and for you to help us to engage this, what we might call a very shallow evangelicalism today, with great top-shelf church resources produced in-house here uh, within G3 Ministries, and then providing that with a steady stream, to local churches for absolutely free. So we're going to talk more about that in the days to come, but be looking for that announcement on social media, or if you're subscribed to our VIP uh, email list, you'll be getting updates uh, as we move throughout the month of July. But Let's talk a little bit about the Southern Baptist Convention. Needless to say, Since the convention gathered in Nashville on the second week of June, over the past couple of weeks, the SBC really appears to be something really close to what we might call a dumpster fire. We have seen the election of Ed Litton as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, which represents some 47,000 churches, and yet there's great controversy with that election. Uh, Again, he co-preaches with his wife. Now, he gets a free pass, by the way, because she's not ordained to the office of pastor. So this is indicative of the ongoing debate and the the need, really, for more debate on the issue of the, the distinction between the office and the function of the office of pastor in the life of the local church. But needless to say, he's very open about this, co-preaching with his wife. And then, of course, there was a, a bit of a controversy related to a statement that was unorthodox, on his church's website related to the doctrine of god calling the three persons of the godhead three parts and yet so uh, as that as that continuous um cycle of of ebb and flow of controversy related to that specific statement he's addressed it and then there have been questions that have been asked and then those questions have not fully been answered And so, again, controversy here. And then now, on top of all of that, he's been accused of plagiarism, plagiarizing J.D. Greer's sermon from Romans, and yet he denies the charges of plagiarism. And he and J.D. Greer both have gone on record to explain how this very uncomfortable and awkward moment actually happened with a video that surfaced comparing and contrasting the two sermons. And so it's been it's been a, a very rocky couple of weeks for the Southern Baptist Convention. But back to the convention, when the messengers of the SBC were gathered in Nashville for the very purpose of voting on a new president and to affirm resolutions and to go through a two-day business session, you had some controversy there. In fact, throughout the entire SBC convention, every attempt to go on record to publicly condemn critical race theory and intersectionality was dismissed. And it it happened in the resolutions. Now, there were statements that were made by J.D. Greer and others on the platform that denounced and tried to distance the SBC leadership from CRT and intersectionality. But any attempt to actually name CRT and intersectionality within the documents, such as resolutions of the Southern Baptist Convention, those attempts were seen to be unfriendly amendments to resolutions, and they were rejected. And so in essence, and you can go to the G3 website at g3men.org, and you can read what I've actually called The Canonization of CRTI within the SBC. So you can go find that article there and read more about that. But suffice it to say, there's there's great controversy. Now, the chairperson of the Resolutions Committee for the Southern Baptist Convention at the 2021 SBC in Nashville was Dr. James Merritt. And when there were attempts made, at one point, uh, a brother came to the microphone and tried to bring forth an amendment that would actually name CRTI as something that we reject as the Southern Baptist Convention and yet Merritt went on record to from the microphone from the platform to in many ways to demean that man and other messengers that were sympathetic to his desire there that were seated in that hall and, and there were thousands of people who were showing their support for this man's amendment And yet James Merritt went on record as stating the following. He said, if some people were as passionate about the gospel as they are CRTI, we would win the world to Jesus tomorrow, end quote. Now, he went on to say he had never found CRT in the Bible. So he was sort of stating a case that we don't need to go on record to publicly condemn something that we don't find in the Bible. But we've done that on numerous occasions. We've made resolutions through the years for all sorts of things that can't be specifically spelled out or named in the Bible, but can certainly be connected to what the Bible teaches. And of course, you could see there was an ongoing, synchronized effort to distance any attempt to publicly condemn CRT. And so there has been a great loss of trust in the leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention. And this, of course, goes without saying. Men like Russell Moore, who led the ERLC and then just before this convention steps away from his position to take on a new role at Christianity Today. And yet you have other professors like Dr. Herschel York, who just following the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting takes to Twitter to actually demean the messengers who are actually wanting to name, publicly name, go on record publicly to name that critical race theory and intersectionality are out of bounds. They're out of bounds for theological education. They're out of bounds for the Southern Baptist Convention to use as analytical tools. This was a conservative response that was made about the the very resolution that caused so much controversy in 2019, namely that of Resolution 9 on critical race theory and intersectionality. So what you have now is you have soccer moms and concerned citizens across the country who are standing up at school board meetings and standing up in, in community meetings, and they are publicly calling out CRT. But when it comes to pastors and theologians of the SBC, they continue to refuse to publicly denounce CRT. It's astounding. So, with all of the controversy uh, about CRT and intersectionality and the, the unwillingness of the leadership of the SBC to actually allow the convention to publicly denounce these ideologies, you have the dean of the School of Theology, Dr. Herschel York, Taking to Twitter on June nineteenth just a couple of days after the convention, and he tweets the following quote: I heard a group of jehovah's witnesses got upset that at their annual meeting they passed a resolution against pork that did not specifically mention bacon end quote now what's he doing here? well he's obviously uh talking about the the desire to amend resolution two now resolution two was on the sufficiency of Scripture for race and racial reconciliation. And all throughout this specific resolution, it talked about things that that are connected to critical race theory and intersectionality, but did not actually go on record to publicly denounce CRTI. And in fact, it used uh, ambiguous language such as, quote, any theory or worldview, end quote but did not specify a specific theory or ideology or worldview. And so for that reason, uh, Dr. York and others are demeaning the messengers who felt it necessary to specifically name ideologies like CRTI. And so rather than admitting any fault or failure, the elites within the SBC continue to posture themselves as the true conservatives who are trustworthy leaders and are merely being misrepresented and attacked. Now, if you just look at the headlines, you will find the New York Times refers to those conservatives who showed up to vote for a new president and to stand against ideologies like CRTI. Those conservatives are referred to as ultra-conservatives. And so now you have uh, all sorts of attempts by the elites within the SBC to posture themselves as the true conservatives. And this other group is something other than the true conservatives of, say, the Adrian Rogers type. And so there's something other than. And so now we have an article that's been published by Dr. Nathan Finn. He is the provost and dean of the university faculty at North Greenville University. And he Wrote an article that was originally published at Baptist 21, and it also appeared as a guest article on Dr. Thomas Kidd's blog at TGC. And the title of this article is Southern Baptist Fundamentalism Then and Now. And he just sets the foundation and charts the course at the beginning of his article that he's a church historian who is well read, and well-versed in Baptist history and fundamentalism uh, within evangelicalism and American religious history. And so he talks about the basis of his PhD dissertation, and then he goes on to start talking about the trends that are happening within the current SBC and, uh, of course, wider evangelicalism, but specifically the SBC. And so he makes a couple of statements that I think that we need to address. First of all, he says, as a historian, I define fundamentalism as militant conservative dissent against progressive trends in the church and culture, and he calls it a reactionary posture. And then he goes on and says this, one important strand of mid-century Baptist fundamentalism found within the SBC was what I call denominational fundamentalism. Now, now that's critically important because what he goes on to, to describe is that of uh, anti-convention types from years ago. And he sets the case and makes the case that SBC fundamentalism was a populist movement that deeply distrusted institutions and leaders. So in other words, there was a great growing distrust of the leadership of the SBC and these anti-convention types. Uh, eventually being called fundamentalist would eventually fracture from and they would separate from the SBC and he he describes these individuals as being those who were influenced by far right views of American culture and he he talked about that and and he makes a statement in here he he, he talks about the fact that these individuals were actually similar to those who uh, held to a Jim Crow style of racism in the South, and an anti-Catholic bigotry. Okay, and so as he makes this case, basically he's he's trying to establish this comparison to what he calls this this new type of fundamentalism that's that's crept into the Southern Baptist Convention in our present day, and so as he makes this case. He comes on down eventually and says, many of them seem more like the denominational fundamentalists of the 1950s or 1960s than the resurgent conservatives of the 1980s. Okay, so he makes a clear distinction. The conservatives of today are not like the conservatives of the 80s, namely those who started in 1979 and would be more li- aligned with that of say an Adrian Rogers he says that today's fundamentalists within the SBC are more like the 1950s and 1960s is that really true if you're a if you're a church historian you have to deal with facts and are these individuals these messengers today are they really more aligned with right-wing conspiracy theorists that were sympathetic to Jim Crow and and swept to the right with with regard to all sorts of american culture issues or are they genuinely concerned sbc messengers who are looking at real problems today and seeing issues that need to be addressed which is it and and that's a very important question to to ask as this article in many ways smears southern baptist messengers who paid their own way. Many of them paid their own way to go to Nashville to represent local Southern Baptist churches to vote on matters of great concern, namely that of critical race theory and intersectionality, and to vote for a new president who would stand boldly without blushing against that type of teaching. And yet, as you see an article like this, These messengers that I personally talked with, that I knew personally who went to Nashville, many of which went there, paid their own way. In fact, if you want to be technical about it, they paid their own way, and they also paid the way of the elites who actually went on the very penny and the expense of seminaries and SBC institutions. So these conservatives that are called right wing conspiracy theorists and are out of touch with reality by Dr. Nathan Finn, not only paid their way, but they paid the way for the elites to go too, because it's their money that pays the salaries and and actually causes these institutions to continue to move forward. And so why is it that they came? Well, it's not because they're anti-SBC. It's not because they're anti-convention fundamentalists like that of the 1950s and 60s. These are the individuals that I believe are are seeing something of great concern, and they want to address it. And so it's not proper to call them or to describe them as anti-convention fundamentalists. I think that that's completely inaccurate. And furthermore, it's part of what we would call the Hegelian dialectic. It's a move from thesis to synthesis, and it involves the introduction of chaos, namely that of antithesis. So this big, massive dumpster fire of chaos, it's really in many ways being used to get us to the synthesis moment. And so a lot of the elites know exactly what's going on, and they're trying to capitalize on all of this. So when you see this synchronized effort to respond to the conservatives by the elites, when they're all saying the same thing, have you ever just paused to think about all of the theologians and all of these individuals within the SBC all that make up what what you might call the top tier elite group of leaders within the SBC why is it that not one of them happens to write a well balanced article to critique the concerns that many of the the conservatives are actually articulating why is it why is it that not one of them is actually stepping off to say I'm actually sympathetic with the concerns of these conservatives, and here's why, and give a good theologically-based description and articulation of these issues. Why is it that we're not seeing this? In fact, what we're seeing is we're seeing something else. We're seeing a synchronized response from all fronts, whether it be in a demeaning tweet or whether it be in some sort of an article like Nathan Finn actually pens here, and this is to bring people to embrace what you might call the reasonable Southern Baptist messenger position. So that when you see this, this very organized, synchronized response from every one of the elites, it causes people who are in the middle, who are trying to figure out what in the world is going on, to actually bring them to a place where they say, well, I guess I don't really have to be concerned about that. I mean, I guess it's just a conspiracy theory. And that's what you call the synthesis moment. And that's exactly where these elites are trying to lead the Southern Baptist Convention. Just ignore these people who are standing at microphones and and sounding the alarm about CRT. Hey, listen, we don't have anything to worry about. We just need to win people to Jesus. And we don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. We can just condemn heresy without naming the heresy. We can just be ambiguous about it. Let's be the reasonable Southern Baptist Convention messenger. Well, that's exactly where they want us to go. They don't want people to stand up and to speak out against these issues. So I want to address Dr. Finn's article because there is another kind of fundamentalism, right? And again, we we have to remember that the actual term, admittedly, uh, has suffered greatly, just like evangelical has through the years. So fundamentalism, or that of a fundamentalist, has taken on this this negative connotation and this negative baggage. But perhaps the conservative SBC messenger who paid his or her own way to go up to Nashville and paid their own gas, paid their own hotel, uh, paid for their own barbecue sandwich at lunch, and went to the meetings and held up their ballots and voted, perhaps. They're not really anti-SBC or anti-convention types. And perhaps they're not really those that were, you know, theologically ill-informed, uh, like those who once embraced Jim Crow-esque sort of position. Maybe they're actually seeing something of concern because they're theologically rooted in in their approach to this whole matter related to critical race theory. Perhaps they're more aligned with the fundamentalism of J. Gresham Machen than the right-winged Jim Crow-supporting KJV-only conspiracy theorists of the 1950s and 60s. You see, it was Machen who was a, a theological giant of his day. He was the professor of New Testament at Princeton Seminary between 1906 and 29, and he led a conservative movement, really, against the modernist theological positions at Princeton And he would go on to form Westminster Theological Seminary as an alternative to the progressives of his day. And he himself was called a fundamentalist. And he was called a fundamentalist during an era when there was a raging controversy between the fundamentalist and the modernist, namely those who were the progressive liberals. And at one point he made the statement. He said, quote, he says, hence, I never call myself a fundamentalist. There is indeed no inherent objection to the term, and if the disjunction is between fundamentalism and modernism, then I am willing to call myself a fundamentalist of the most pronounced type. But after all, what I prefer to call myself is not a fundamentalist, but a Calvinist, that is, an adherent of the Reformed faith." Quote. Now, Machen died in 1937. By the 1950s and 60s, Even through the 70s and 80s, the term became synonymous with a group of ultra-conservative separatists who often embraced skewed views like the King James only position, and they were staunchly Arminian, and they would fight over the length of a woman's dress and might actually be inclined to embrace crazy conspiracy theories. Yes, that is true. But I don't see that stripe of fundamentalism as that of those who are actually called conservatives and are actually concerned conservatives within the SBC and care about the direction of the SBC. These conservatives show up to the convention. These conservatives came to speak at a microphone and to address real issues. They drove long distances on their own dime, sat in uncomfortable chairs in a convention hall for a two-day business session known as the Southern Baptist Convention. And yet, there will be people just like Nathan Finn who will take to platforms like the Gospel Coalition to write articles that smear them and try to dismiss their concern. Now, if the SBC will avoid a massive split and splinter moving forward, it will take far more than demeaning professors who tweet and write articles at concerned Southern Baptist messengers. It will take honesty integrity, and transparency, and a willingness to become a bold, conservative convention once more that does not see the passion for the gospel and boldness against heresy as mutually exclusive endeavors. No, in fact, the SBC needs to do both. needs to be passionate about gospel preaching and missions and church planting, and at the very same time, being willing to boldly stand against divisive ideologies, just like CRT and intersectionality. So many Southern Baptist messengers who listen to this podcast will remain engaged and work toward that very goal, but others are already gone. Now, there are many lessons to be learned as the pages of history are being written about the SBC, but suffice it to say, one critical lesson to be learned is that God is watching. The mantra that was repeated over and over and over from the microphone at the SBC Annual meeting in Nashville was that the world is watching. And yes, that is true. The world is watching. And that became abundantly clear when Newsweek and the Washington Post recently wrote articles about the plagiarism controversy in the SBC. The world is watching. But more importantly than the world's attention is the reality that God is watching the SBC. God sees it all, God hears every phone call in private meetings among the elites. God is in every boardroom and every private meeting. He sees every tweet and he sees every article. God sees everything. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So, yes, the debate can continue on what you should call the conservatives within the SBC. Do You want to call them a fundamentalist? Well, if so, define your terms properly. I don't think that the concerned SBC messenger of today is an anti-convention messenger. I see those individuals as truly concerned. Will they eventually separate from the SBC? Oh, it's quite possible that they will. But if they do separate, that doesn't mean that they should be maligned or smeared as out-of-touch or theologically ignorant individuals who are just given over to conspiracy theories maybe just perhaps those individuals that leave are leaving because they're they're shaking the dust off of their feet because they're done giving money and investing and paying the salaries of professors who would dare to demean them and dare to lead a convention and lead institutions and entities and seminaries and bible colleges to the left And so as we continue to have this conversation, let's do that very thing. Let's have a conversation. But in order to do that, there are many people within the elite tier of the SBC, within evangelicalism, that are going to actually have to engage in that conversation. And so may God be glorified as we continue to serve and as we continue to preach the glorious gospel of King Jesus. Thank you for joining me for this edition of the G3 Podcast. You can find out more information about the G3 National Conference at our website at g3men.org. You can also find out more about this podcast and see all of the archives at our website. You can look for registration opportunities for our pre-conference for the G3 National Conference at g3men.org. And also keep an eye out for the upcoming announcement about the G3 Church Network coming very soon. May God bless you. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week on the G3 Podcast.